welcome to Treat Your Shelf, a book club podcast where each month we usually read a book and come together to discuss it. I'm Hannah. I'm Emma. And I'm Christina. And today we will be looking back at 2020, a truly terrible year filled with some pretty good books. Um, to start us off, I'm curious to see how our reading went this year. I know last year we discussed how many books we had read and our goals for the next year. So ladies, how did reading go for you in 2020? I mean, at first it went pretty terrible, and then it went pretty great. Like, the last half of the year, I really sort of sped up and just really got into audiobooks this year. That helped, so... Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Audiobooks help. This this was the year of what can I get on my phone, book-wise. Oh, wow, I can get a lot of things. Mm-hmm. So sure. I, I did my goal last year was to read three good books. Yes. Now, I did reread a lot of books this year, and I'm not counting that as good books. That doesn't count. Mm -hmm. But I do believe I read three good books, although I will be talking about some bad books, as I do. It's my public duty (laughs) to let everyone know what books are bad. Yes. Fair enough. (laughs) But yeah. Uh, Nice. So I think... I was trying to tally it up with Hannah last night. I think I read 29 books this year. Wow. Nice. So, I guess that's good. Nice. That's awesome. I set a goal of 30 books. I'm currently at 16. You still have time. Cut, cut that st- out. It's the end of the year. <laughs> I still have two. I still have two months. Say two weeks. <laughs> no, Emma, it's fine. They're going to know we're recording this early. I wrote it in my script. We're re- no. <laughs> Okay, that's good. <laughs> Just kidding, I'm out of time. No! <laughs> it's, it's New Year's Eve. It's New Year's, the end of the year. I failed my goal. We're recording Three, this two, we're releasing one. it. <laughs> the ball's dropped. <laughs> it's chaos. <laughs> um... I feel like the books that I did read were pretty good. One of the books that I chose that I will talk about was a terrible choice, and I will explain why. Oh, I am excited. This is what I'm here for. <laughs> yes. Ooh. And that's all I will say. But a lot of the books that I read were for book club. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough, fair enough. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Alrighty then. Uh, Yeah, so this year, I think my goal was like 36 books. I know it was just like one more than I read last year. And I know I read 30-some last year. And I ended up reading 83 books. Oh my gosh. Um, (laughs) I am... I I think I can get to at least 90. I by the end of the year, by the actual end of the year, in 2 hours. I 
Yeah, in two hours. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I'm kind of hoping to get to 100, but I don't want to set my goal too high. Each time I met my goal, I would change it by 10 books. So wow, <laughs> trying to keep my goals actually reachable. So yeah, so pretty good reading year. Honestly, probably the best reading year I've ever had. <laughs> so. so it was a great year. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> it was an amazing reading year for me. You're saying this is the best year of your life? <laughs> You're saying you want more years like this one? <laughs> That's exactly what I meant. Yes to all of that. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I believe we each came with about three books that we wanted to highlight from this year. Uh, so we will go around and share some interesting books <laughs> that we encountered this year. Who wants to go first? Maybe you should go first since yeah. you have so many books to talk about. Exactly. Hannah, since you read the most, you get to go first. We're going in who in who read the most order. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Okay, I can I can get down with that. Uh, so the first book that I want to talk about is a historical fiction book called Cloud of Sparrows by Takashi Matsuoka. And this is the first book in a duology. I have not read the second book yet, so I can't speak to the conclusion of um, of these books, but basically Cloud of Sparrows. So it takes place in Japan in the mid-1800s. So we have shoguns and samurai, but we also have missionaries coming over from America, which Ooh. is very interesting. Uh, it's about Lord Genji, who has the gift of prophecy. So there's a lot going on in this book. It's a long book, but it's a really good book. Uh, we follow along with Lord Genji as he's trying to understand these visions that he's getting, as well as like escorting these American missionaries through Japan. And the story also manages to include a gunslinger. Yes. I remember <laughs> from the description. Yes. Yeah, so it also has a classic, like, Old West revenge storyline interwoven throughout. And I'm a big fan of Westerns, so I really loved that aspect of it. <laughs> and thought that was really fun that they managed to, to put that in there. I don't know, I just, I thought it was a really interesting depiction of the differences between American and Japanese cultures, because we have the point of view of the American missionaries, and then we have the point of view of Lord Genji, and so um, you'll get a lot of instances of Lord Genji and the other uh, Japanese people uh, really being judgmental of the American female missionary <laughs> and like she's not up to their beauty standards but then you also have the same thing with the americans being like these people like their gender roles all of these things like all of their culture makes no sense <laughs> so it's just a really interesting like seeing between the two of them um uh, like trying kind of to understand each other's cultures but also being really confused by each other's cultures mm-hmm 
And yeah, I don't know. It it made me really interested in uh, Japanese history. So I think probably the next nonfiction books I'll read will be focusing on uh, Japanese history, specifically from this time period. Uh, but yeah, I thought it was a fun read, and I can't wait to pick up the second book. Nice. Yeah, I wanted to read that book. I kept forgetting about it, and it's also weirdly hard to get. It's weird. Yeah. It, I don't know. I had such a difficult time. That's why I haven't read the second book yet, because I I listened to the first one on audiobook, and I really liked that, hearing it on audiobook. And then I tried to find the second one, but they only had abridged versions. That's so weird. And I don't know why they only had abridged versions. And I was like, I don't want an abridged version of the story. I want the full story. So I don't know. We shall see if I can get my hands onto an unabridged copy of the second book ever. Well, that's my plan. So yeah, that was my first book that I wanted to highlight that I read in uh, 2020. I know it was not released in 2020. I think only like one of, no, yeah, only like one of the books that I'm talking about was actually released this year, I think. That's fine. <laughs> we don't have to talk about books that were released this year. Yeah. No, I know. I'm just, I'm just saying like, just to make it clear, like, we're not just talking about, like, new releases. Yeah. We're talking about books oh, that we read. definitely not. Definitely it's not. the 2020 year-end review. We are not reviewing books from 2020. <laughs> no, it's just what books have we read this year. I just wanted to make that clear. <laughs> 12 minutes into the podcast, you wanted to make that clear. Yes. Because I realized we had it. <laughs> For those of you just joining us. <laughs> Emma, I believe you had the second, if we're going in order of books read. Yeah, I'm in last place. Just point that out again. <laughs> <laughs> to be clear, Christina is going last because she read the least amount of books. <laughs> All right. I will start with the first book I read this year. Which was, you may remember, I said that 2020 was going to be the year of Le Guin. It, okay. it was not. Okay. <laughs> but I started out by reading A Wizard of Earthsea by Ursula Ooh, K. Nice. Le Guin. The classic. So you tried. I did. I, I started out, like everyone this year, I started out strong. Here was my goal. <laughs> Let me get on it. So it's the classic, the classic fantasy novel. And I loved it. I oh, okay. really liked it a lot. And after, well, when I was reading it, I was like, this is what I should have read as a kid. After, like during my Lord of the Rings phase. Yeah. This would have been a good follow up mm. for a child who had just seen those movies instead of trying to read those books as a child. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's like... <laughs> What? Yeah. You didn't want to try and look at my huge illustrated version? You know I love those. <laughs> that weigh like 10 pounds each. Yes. They fit in your lap and <laughs> that's how you have to read them. Yup. <laughs> but anyway, so yes, it is about a young wizard named Ged, him coming into his magical powers growing up in 
this magical world. And because it's Ursula K. Le Guin, it's all world building. I know authors okay. these days are no world building. <laughs> but this is all world building. It's great. And it's a personal journey of the main character. It's good stuff. So Ged, you know, he comes into his magical powers when he's he's younger. He shows an aptitude for magic. And so this this old man comes and sort of takes him away and is like, okay, I'm gonna teach you about magic. But Ged is like, oh, you're old and boring. And so the guy, the, the old man, I forget his name, unfortunately. <laughs> I read this in January. <laughs> um, he's like okay you can stay with me i really want you to stay with me even though you keep disobeying me i really want you to stay with me you can stay with me or you can go to the wizarding school and get us like i'm gonna go to the wizarding school i think that's what's best for me and so he goes and then he makes some more mistakes and the book is about him trying to fix those mistakes and yeah and then he goes on his personal journey is great. I got very emotional reading it during Aww. one scene where Ged is very upset and his friend comes to visit him and I just started crying. Oh. And I was I was reading this on the train coming home from work. Oh. I'm like I need to stop reading cuz I'm on the train and there are people around. Uh. Oh jeez. No. Oh, <laughs> But yeah, so I I read that, and I did finally read the sequel, The Tombs of Adewan. Also very good. I still have not read the other books in the series because they were not available when the mm. world shut down. Mm. So maybe 2021 will be the year of Le Guin, but mm. I don't know. How many uh, books are there in the series? Oh boy, that is confusing. <laughs> it's not confusing. <laughs> it's one of those things where I think... It was called a trilogy, and then she's like, oh, I wrote two more books. <laughs> okay. I think there are five. One of them might be a collection of short stories, or there are five and and a collection of short stories. I don't remember. Okay. Nice. Very good. Highly recommend. Awesome. All right, Christina, what do you have for <laughs> us? Okay, I'm just going to go ahead and just start out with the book that I referenced at the beginning, that was a total mistake. Why not? So, <laughs> you know, the books that I choose to read, you know, outside of book club, you know, I choose to read to take me away to a different place. And I chose this author in this particular book because I had read a previous book of his called Amazonia, and it was very good. I mean, these books... So James Rollins is the author. He writes books that are kind of like Indiana Jones style, like adventure novels. Yeah, you talked about involving. this last year, <laughs> right? <laughs> oh my you... gosh. Oh, I bet I did. I think yeah. last year that was your honorable mention. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, where they're like seriously fun novels where it's like an archaeologist usually who adventures to find like certain prized artifacts and like usually there's like bad guys with guns and like a supernatural mm -hmm. element, you know, and it's fun. It's yeah. 
<laughs> aligned with my interests <laughs> and it's like a really quick read, you know? Yeah. Well, I picked up this book called The Sixth Extinction, which happens to be number 10 in a series of his called the Sigma Four series. I haven't read any of the other books in this series, but I don't think it matters. I picked it up and it was fine. It's like a, you know, like a James Patterson, like Alex Cross novel where you can really pick it up and like, okay, I don't know. It's like a one off almost, you know, mm-hmm. like. Yeah, certain people have relationships that you're not really going to quite understand, but that you're not really reading. Like, it adds to the novel, but you're really reading for the adventure. Mm. The relationships add to it. But this novel in particular takes place in, or at least it starts off, in Inyo National Forest, which is right next to where I used to live in Yosemite National Park. Mm -hmm. So... Most of the novel takes place in one of my favorite places to hike and camp. So I was very familiar with all of the settings. And so it follows a female park ranger for the first bit of the novel. And she's tracking this weird environmental disease that's infecting the land and killing off everything. And it's been released from this secret base in an explosion. (laughs) So I started reading this at like beginning of COVID or like when COVID had like shut everything down. (laughs) And it was kind of like the worst time to start this novel (laughs) because this female park ranger who is traveling around in one of my favorite places on the earth and like a place that I'm really familiar with and a place that I love that's like being destroyed by this environmental disaster that's also killing a lot of humans and spreading like wildfire this disease. So she also has a husky. And oh my I got a husky. So and I used to work for the park service when I lived there. So I'm like deeply relating to this character who's like has a husky traveling around in this place that I used to travel around with my husky and fighting this disease during a time when this global pandemic is happening. Anyways, it was the worst. They end up going to the Amazon and it was a good novel. Like if I didn't read it during like COVID times, I would have found it okay. like really fun. You know, they end up in Antarctica and... They pause it. <laughs> they end up all over. They end up in Antarctica, and that's where this disease like originated in these like subterranean caves in what? Antarctica. Yeah. Whoa. I disagree. And there's like there's this whole uh, ecosystem in these subterranean caves and Antarctica that's a completely secret ecosystem. And it like, I don't know, all these researchers have been like keeping it top secret. And I don't know, it uh, has to do with this entire series. So I feel like I definitely have to like go back and start at number one to like completely understand what's going on (laughs) with this like subterranean cave system in Antarctica, Mm -hmm. because that starts off at number one. But, you know, 
I mean, it's interesting, but like it like hit really close to home and like it took me way longer than the usual like two days to read these books. And Mm. I was just like, oh, this was the wrong time to like start a book about a global pandemic. And I don't know. And the husky almost dies at one point because he gets infected with the... (laughs) Oh, no. With the disease and... They, like what an evil scientist tries to like kill him for research and like I'm like oh. Oh, I could not handle this. It was a lot. It's a lot to handle. Wow, wow, wow. I once again am going to recommend Amazonia though by James Rollins. That was a really good book. <laughs> <laughs> and I still would recommend visiting Inyo National Forest. <laughs> And the Mono Lake area of California. But I'm not sure if I'm going to recommend this book, especially during these times. Okay. Wow. Very interesting. (laughs) So my second book that I wanted to talk about was Real Life by Brandon Taylor. This was a five-star read for me. I absolutely loved this book. It was heartbreaking, though. It's one of those things where you definitely need to be in the right headspace to read it. And there are a lot of trigger warnings. So you also just need to be aware of that when you go into this book. So it's about a uh, black gay grad student uh, going to a mostly white school. And this book takes place really only over one weekend like I think three days basically you do get a bunch of flashbacks to events that had happened previously but I mean for the most part it really does go along with the title it's just like a slice of life real life you just get to see um, this snapshot of a weekend in Wallace's life and it's just I don't know it's just so so good it's so good I don't know by uh, about the trigger warnings is it's a book that is full of toxic relationships of various forms of abuse. So just be aware of that. Uh, And then also we clearly see a lot of racism towards Wallace throughout the story. But I don't know. I just... You just have Wallace and he's just trying to be his, like, science grad student just studying his nematodes and it sounds like the most boring thing but it's just oh I loved Wallace so much he's such an anxious person as well and I feel like I really related to his anxiety and how it was portrayed in the book I was like that's that's me that's me and my anxiety he like we see him in the mists of like having isolated himself from his friends group and I'm like oh no Mm. (laughs) I have those tendencies as well (laughs) and and so I I just I really related to that aspect of it and and yeah I don't know it's just I know Emma it would be too slice of life for you yeah I don't like slice of life uh, because you don't like slice of life and I I think I can see a bunch of people being annoyed with the ending because it's pretty abrupt and it doesn't really wrap up Mm. much of anything. But I feel like that fits perfectly with this book because, again, it is just supposed to be about, like, real life. This is these this group of friends and, and Wallace's real life. And so 
I thought that the ending was perfect. It's it's messy and it's sweet and it's heartbreaking. And I honestly think that this is a book that everybody should read as long as you are in the right mental headspace to do so. <laughs> <laughs> because it is a rough one. But I, I listened to the audiobook. I... I believe it was Kevin R. Free who was the narrator, and he's a voice on Welcome to Night Vale. So the audiobook was top notch. <laughs> I love his voice. It's such a good voice. Yeah, I love Welcome to Night Vale. So, yeah, that was my second book. A different kind of pain than Christina's first book. <laughs> I don't know that I really brought us to a. <laughs> To a good space after. <laughs> We're just going to go downhill from here. <laughs> oh, no. Emma, what's your second book that you wanted to highlight that you read in 2020? Okay. Well, Christina and I, I do believe, have a shared author. So I'm going to go yes. first here and then force her to talk about that book next. Uh, okay. I read... Ring Shout by P. Jelly Clark. It's the pen name of Dexter Gabriel. Ring Shout. It's about Maurice Boudreaux. This is 1920s Macon, Georgia. Maurice is a black woman and she's fighting the KKK with her resistance group, except the KKK is full of demons. And Maurice Ooh. has a demon sword that she uses to fight oh, them. I'm so excited to read this. <laughs> So is cool, dark, it's described as dark fantasy historical fiction, and it's like a survival horror video game. It reminded me a lot of that kind mm. of stuff. It's got some really creepy creature designs and descriptions. Uh, so it's got some pretty good action. It doesn't have like a ton of action, but that's I think is a good thing. And... At the end, there was a tease for a sequel, so Ooh. if you read this, you might be in for a series. I don't know, though. But I did want to talk about spoilers. Um, I mentioned survival horror video games. I was like, this book reminds me of the video game Deadly Premonition. Oh, I haven't <laughs> heard of that. I'm looking it up now. <laughs> oh, you're in for something. <laughs> And so I started writing down what the similarities were to see if I was going crazy or I was like, am I just feeling this is similar mm. or is this actually similar? And I came up with three, four, five. I came up with five fairly specific similarities that I would like to read. Interesting. Okay. So okay. here we are. Similarity number one. The villain is an otherworldly being in the form of an overweight white man. <laughs> okay, here, here's the main thing. And I, I wrote it out probably pretty incoherently, so let's see if I can explain it. The main character has a past, has a traumatic past, which was caused by the main villain killing their parents. And this traumatic event causes the protagonist to create a separate identity, like a split identity, that they then need to reconcile with at the end in order to defeat the villain. So specific. <laughs> and they both, that's the main one where it's like, they both have this. Wow. A villain kidnaps love interest in order to complete an otherworldly ritual. Oh no. <laughs> Both of them have 
uh, like an ingestible or inhaled some sort of substance that is used to possess the town residents. And finally, uh, the otherworldly villains are somehow... There, there's somehow government involvement with the va- main villains, <laughs> oh. but it's both of them are ambiguous. They're just like government. Mm. Okay. Huh. Wow. wow. So interesting. <laughs> that is a lot of very specific similarities. Yes. I'm intrigued. Weird. I wonder if there's anything. Did you look up to see if there was any intentional correlation between the two? I did not. I highly doubt there is, but Deadly Premonition is basically a ripoff of Twin Peaks. So I could see, like, this author being inspired by Twin Peaks. Oh. Okay. But I don't know enough about Twin Peaks to compare those two. Okay. So really, all of these might be Ring Shout versus Twin Peaks comparisons. Who knows? Okay. Weird. I mean, it sounds like a really good book, though. I'm, like, really excited to read it. I don't think any of those were, like, crazy spoilers. I mean, they're, like, themes in the book and things that happen, but yeah, they're pretty vague. I mean, like, I'm not going to remember them. Yeah. I, mm. I, I felt like the way I phrased them, people wouldn't, it wouldn't necessarily stick out. But when it happens, you'll be like, oh, yes, I feel like I've heard this before. Yeah. <laughs> Did that happen in Twin Peaks? (laughs) Or Deadly Premonition? (laughs) All right, Christina, what do you have to tell us? Yes. I also read a novel by Pete Jelly Clark, aka Dexter Gabriel, I believe. This novel was called A Dead Gin in Cairo. Um, And again, this is a novella. It's 68 pages long. Nice. Read that in an hour and a half or so. (laughs) Very short read. But um, so good. Like the amount of world building that he was able to stuff in 68 pages was insane. So the book is set in Egypt in 1912. In an alternate universe, basically. It's like a steampunk universe that's also filled with magic and otherworldly creatures. Um, I mean, there's a djinn, a dead djinn, so (laughs) there's magic. Um, The title is not a metaphor. It is not a a metaphor. It is for real. Um, it starts off with a dead djinn who's committed suicide, and that is all I will say about that uh, particular incident, um, but that is what the novel is centered around. The main character uh, works for the Ministry of Alchemy, Enchantments, and Supernatural Entities, and she's investigating this. So she's a spe- special investigator. Her name is Fatma El Shah. Arawi, probably de- Sharawi. Sharawi did not say that right. <laughs> Named after notable feminist Hoda El Sharawi, <clears throat> but she encounters rampaging ghouls, saucy assassins, clockwork angels, and Whoa. plot that could entr- unravel time itself. 
That's what the summary says on Goodreads. <laughs> but it's true. It's like, it was like the most exciting hour and a half of my life. Like, I just wanted more and more. And there is a second novel coming out in May of next year. And oh, it's called ooh, fun. A Master of Gin. <laughs> and it is going to be a full length novel that's like almost 500 pages. Wow. wow. So the first one was just the little tease, the, the appetizer. Just a little something to whet your appetite and get you wanting more. I am super excited for it. And I also bought a bunch of his other books that were available now onto my Kindle. And after hearing Emma's review of Ring Shout, I am definitely going to read that one next. So I am super excited. Yay! I don't know. I love how this author writes. I don't know where he just popped out of nowhere, but I love it. I think he's also like professional historian. So he's just really good at details. Yeah. But also telling a story at the same time. Yeah. Cool. I love it. That's awesome. Yeah. So, Hannah? (laughs) All right. So the third book that I wanted to talk about was a young adult book. I wanted to talk about The Beautiful by Renee Adier. Got to talk about her every year. (laughs) 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 That's my goal. (laughs) So Amazon tells me that this is actually the first of five books. Whoa. (gasps) Which I did not know because as far as I know, all of her other series have all been duologies. I don't know that she's written longer series than that. She may have, but only two of the books are out so far, The Beautiful and The Damned. But I just, I can't wait to read the rest. I need to read the rest now. And I'm both like happy that there are going to be five books and sad because that means I have to wait a really long time (laughs) to finish this series since only two of the books are currently out. So The Beautiful, it takes place in 19th century New Orleans. And we have Celine Rousseau, who has fled from Paris, from France, I think from Paris, but from France, (laughs) after this horrible event, and she's feeling all kinds of mixed emotions about it that you get into throughout the book. And so she gets to New Orleans, and she's staying in this convent with all of these other young women. And at some point, she crosses paths with Sébastien Saint-Germain, and chaos and shisus! So this book... I believe it was marketed as a vampire romance book. <laughs> and to like, sucker people in. Yeah. To oh, literally okay. so here's the sucker thing. people in. Yes. <laughs> yes, there are vampires and other supernatural creatures throughout this book. But really, this book was more of a whodunit. Like <laughs> Which I loved. (laughs) I loved that so much. Like, I didn't go into this being like, I need me a vampire romance. That's not the reason I was reading this (laughs) book. You were like, I really hope this isn't a vampire romance. (laughs) I, you know, I love how the books did it. I, I love it so much. But I can see, I think other people 
because that's how it was marketed, they went into this book. And then when it wasn't a vampire romance, per se, they were like, what the heck? (laughs) But no, this is, it's so good. So, I don't know, we just, we get to see the, uh, slowly get to learn more and more about the supernatural world. And it's like, it's, it's slow world building, but I think, I think it was the perfect pace. I think some people are going to think it's a little too slow, that there are a little too many unanswered questions by the end of this first book. Don't worry, though. Book two answers a lot of questions. (laughs) (laughs) Book two expands on the supernatural aspect so, 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 so much. So I don't know. Anyway, I just I just loved these books and I really can't wait for the other ones to be released because I need to know what is going on with everybody. Oh, there are so many side characters and in book two you get more points of view because in the first book you really only get Celine and Sebastian's uh, points of view. But then in the second book you get all of these side characters' point of view as well and I I love me a lot of points of view. I... <laughs> I love that so much. So, I don't know. If you want a vampire romance, you'll eventually get it. (laughs) With this series. If you want a good whodunit in the first book and then a really fun, like, supernatural world building in the second book, then read this series. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So, Emma... You have teased that this is going to be bad. Yes. All right. You know, this all started with you, Hannah. With me, This yeah. book. Uh-oh. Hannah's getting blamed <laughs> for this book. I I no. should be blamed for this book. Hannah, I mean, Hannah wants to talk about how bad this book is, but... I do. I'm, I'm pissed at this book. Okay. This is like the beginning of quarantine Mm -hmm. hannah texts me oh look what i'm reading and hannah was reading dodge city wyatt earp bat masterson and the wickedest town in the american west okay by tom clavin sounds like it's up your alley and i was like that is so cool oh my god i totally want to read that i just I had just started watching Gunsmoke because in case you're wondering what I did during quarantine, I watched the first six seasons of Gunsmoke. Good stuff. (laughs) Eventually. (laughs) And so I was like, oh my god, I'm gonna read this. So I started reading it. I'm like, oh wow, Delmonico's is a real place? Wow. I'm learning so much. But anyway, as Hannah Hannah started (laughs) realizing this book's not very good. The author goes on a lot of tangents. He gives backstory for just everybody's life story. Mm. Person comes in, here is their entire life story. Oh, now they're dead. They were only there for two seconds. He gives you people's... It's like you're reading the Bible and you're getting, like, the full lineage (laughs) of people. so-and-so. You learn, like, Wyatt Earp's father... And his father, and then his father, and then his father. And you just keep going back and you're like, why are we going back this far? What does this have to do with Wyatt Earp? Nothing. It has nothing to do with it. Yeah. So Hannah and I talked about the title of this book a lot, Dodge City, 
Wyatt Earp, Bat Masterson, and The Wickedest Town in the American West. And we're, we're like, okay, this book is three things. It is a biography of Dodge City, mm-hmm. of Wyatt Earp, and of Bat Masterson. When it should have just been a biography of Dodge City, focusing on the time Wyatt Earp and Bat Masterson were there. Right. But no. It was like, let me tell you everything that happened before they got there and everything that happened to them after they left. Yeah, it, the scope was far too wide on this. He really should have just focused on Dodge City and what happened there. Wow. How long was the book? It was. I, I listened to it on audiobook. I feel like it was fairly long. I feel like it was a standard nonfiction book, so around 400 pages. Yeah. Okay. But anyway, so I had already committed to reading... The sequel, Tombstone. <laughs> and I was like, you know, I I like reading nonfiction. I, I like learning about the, the American West. And I can't wait to learn about Tombstone and the gunfight at the mm-hmm. OK Corral. I will say there were some good stories and like anecdotes in yes. the Dodge City book. There were some interesting stories it was just again too wide of a (laughs) too sexist it was so incredibly sexist oh my gosh (laughs) i i cannot count the number of times that this author referred to sex workers as soiled doves because he he says he's like that's the term used at the time which is true but you could tell that he was like, oh, I love this term. Let me say it every single time. Every single time. Oh my god. So gross. <laughs> Soil doves aside, I'm reading Tombstone. And it's the same. I mean, I skimmed a lot because I'm like, I already know White Earp's life story because I read Dodge City. Yeah. He's basically writing the same book twice. <laughs> and oh, what is, um yeah, he just gives so much information. He's like, here's how Arizona became a state and how Tombstone became a city, which okay, how Tombstone became a city, that is moderately important, but I did not it's like 200 pages before Wyatt Earp shows up. I don't know. Right. It's crazy. Gosh. But so not a lot of that book stuck with me. But the general impression I got from that book was that the Earps were on the right side in the gunfight at the OK Corral. Mm. And I'm like, yeah, okay, cool. And so I don't even know how to, what to say next. Somehow I decided to read another book about the gunfight at the OK Corral. <laughs> I don't quite remember how this happened. <laughs> But anyway, I decided to read And Die in the West, The Story of the OK Corral Gunfight by Paula Mitchell Marks. And it was so much better. 20 million times better. Now, I used to think that the gunfight at the OK Corral was the least relevant historical event. (laughs) But... I have come to realize that at this moment in time, it is the most relevant historical event because it is a story of Democrats versus Republicans. <laughs> because the town of Tombstone was divided along party lines, each party had to, had its own newspaper <laughs> that would tell completely mm. different stories. 
Yes, I do remember when I got into reading about reading about all of that. I, I do remember hearing about the different newspapers. And the story of the gunfight at the OK Corral is a story of law officers who were acquitted of murder. Ooh, oh, you're right. <laughs> so, huh. so Paula Mitchell Marks does such a better si- job of telling all the sides of the story. Tom Clavin, what he does is that he's drawing a lot of conclusions where conclusions cannot be drawn because we just, we honestly do not know what happened in that gunfight. There were no reliable witnesses. The only people who saw what happened were the people who were there. And obviously they would lie about what happened to Mm -hmm. make themselves look better. But the way that Tom Clavin wrote it, the chapter about the gunfight, he's like, this is what happened at the gunfight. And what Paula Mitchell Marks did was she's like, here is a bunch of people's testimony from the hearing Mm. about what happened. It's like, this person says this happened, and then this person said this happened. But Tom Clavin did not do that. And he also just ignored certain facts. Oh, God. Oh, interesting. Maybe not facts, but he... I went back after I read the gunfight at the OK Corral, the specific chapter about the gunfight in And Die in the West, I went back to Tombstone and I was like, let's see how he wrote it. All right. So he's talking about Johnny Behan's testimony during the hearing. Mm -hmm. And Johnny Behan was the sheriff who was the Earp's antagonist of sorts. And he says, thus, the sheriff's testimony was filled with fanciful details. And it's like, there's no basis for that statement other than that the sheriff's testimony was different than the Earp's testimony. Interesting. Oh, goodness. And so he says this, the sheriff's testimony was filled with fanciful details. And one of those details that he's saying is fanciful is that Tom McLowry threw open his coat to demonstrate that he did not have a gun. Tom McLowry most likely did not have a gun and was shot and killed in the gunfight at the OK Corral. Huh. But this author does not mention that. He says quite the opposite. Wow. Um, Oh, no. (laughs) Jeez. Oh, I didn't... Oh, man, I didn't write down the part where he said... So, yeah, when when Tom Clavin describes the gunfight at the OK Corral, he says that Tom McLowry threw open his coat to access a gun. And it's like, well, no, he didn't... He most likely didn't have a gun. He had checked his gun like he was supposed to when he got into town. And then later in the day, somebody saw him and they said, yeah, I saw that he had something in his pocket, probably a gun. And that's the basis for people thinking that he might have had a gun. Wow. Oh, goodness. <laughs> and but the but Tom Clavin, in his description of the gunfight, he does say how uh, Tom McLowry went behind a horse and then tried to get a rifle from um, the saddle holster mm-hmm. thing. And it's like, why would he be grabbing for a rifle if he had a handgun? Yeah. <laughs> Mr. Clavin, what do you say to that? <laughs> but no, oh my so he could, he, he's straight up telling you Tom McLowry probably had a gun. Not even <laughs> mentioning the fact that no gun found on his body. This makes me even angrier <laughs> at that author. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so, and Dying the West is not perfect. This book was written in 1989. So I feel like 
a lot has come, maybe not come out, but, you know, research has changed since the 80s. Uh, there are some sources that she uses that aren't too credible, and she does mention, she's like, this source, this person lied a lot. Source isn't reliable, but they still use it a bit. But anyway, there's so much. And I wrote down her, the conclusion that she wrote at the end of the story. I'm going to read it to you. The men who took these chances were not necessarily good or bad men, and the idea of the West as setting for a simple, ongoing morality play between good and evil is perhaps the shakiest myth of all. Naturally, good and evil, by any human standards, did exist. Everyone could recognize that randomly stealing a horse from an old man alone in the desert and shooting the owner in the head, as Sandy King reportedly did, was a wicked act that bespoke a bad character. But for finer distinctions between good and bad to work, there must be some general agreement as to what constitutes one or the other. In the confused political, economic, and social climate of the frontier, men could not agree on right and wrong or on degrees of right and wrong. A person was judged good because his economic interests were aligned with one's own. He was bad because his interests interests conflicted or because his allegiances lay with a different political party or geographical group. The significance of the gunfight at the OK Corral, then, does not lie in its existence as a morality play between good lawmen and bad cowboys, or between bad lawmen and good cowboys. Rather, the gun battle, the personalities involved in it, and the events surrounding it are significant for what they tell us about the real complexities of the Western frontier experience. The story of the troubles in Boomtown Tombstone reminds us that the whys and wherefores of living and dying have never been as simple as we might wish them to be. <laughs> Whoa. Wow. <laughs> so, yeah, it's a better story. It's actually written as a story. It starts when the Earps get to Tombstone. Okay. <laughs> and it tells people's perspectives yeah. of things when things aren't clear. <laughs> also, another reason to hate Tom... No, I'm not going to get into it. <laughs> no, you have to tell me now. Well, so Tom Clavin, he directly quotes secondary sources a lot. Mm. which is okay. weird where he's like in this person's book about the gunfight at the okay corral they said this and i'm like you couldn't come up with your own way to say that yeah or like where are the primary resources you know yeah i mean i mean he quoted plenty of primary resources but quoting a secondary resource seems like something you're not supposed to do yeah when you're writing nonfiction. Mm -hmm. but i'm no expert on the subject but he did it a lot. Ugh. <laughs> Makes me angrier. So yeah, I mean, if you look up Tom Tom Clavin's book Tombstone, it has a lot of good reviews, and it's because it just reaffirms people's cursory knowledge on the subject. They're mm -hmm. like, yes, this is what I've gotten from movies and TV, and it goes along with what I know, but it is very... I feel like it's a step backwards in the telling of this story that he's just really championing the herbs. Right. As they would want. Yeah. <laughs> They'd be happy with that. As Wyatt wished it. <laughs> oh, gosh. Oh, my God. I could go about on about this for like 20 more minutes. <laughs> I don't feel... Okay. This was in a different book in... Okay, there's a guy named Fred Dodge, who was a friend of the Earps, and he his uh, diary was published. 
Uh, it's called Undercover in Tombstone. I believe he was an undercover Wells Fargo agent. <laughs> He's a pretty cool guy. The reason he became friends with the Earps is because Virgil and Wyatt saw him and they're really staring at him. And so he goes up to them and they're like, hey, you look exactly like our brother Morgan. <laughs> <laughs> And then Fred Dodge meets Morgan Earp and he's like, I do look exactly like you. And they became best friends. Oh my gosh. And they would go around Tombstone and people would confuse them with each other. That's adorable. <laughs> but so in Fred Dodge's book, he's talking about Virgil Earp uh, post-assassination attempt on his life where uh, he lost the use of his arm from getting shot. But... I don't think anybody had ever explained that. So Virgil Earp didn't have an elbow joint after that. So he would just flop his arm around to freak people out. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> okay, I will Fascinating. finish for now. Well, this has been very interesting. <laughs> All right, Christina, tell us about your third book. So my third book is uh, The Wolf in the Whale by Georgiana Max Brodsky. So this book was amazing. It's set in 1000 AD in the New World slash Greenland. Okay. <laughs> I have a hard time grasping which exactly it was set in. I think it's uh, I think it's mostly Greenland, but it follows a young Inuit shaman, a young woman named Omot, who is born with the soul of a hunter, and it was actually the soul of her grandfather, like reincarnated in her, which is okay, which was a bit controversial. So she was basically born with, like, the soul of a man. Mm -hmm. And it was just really cool. So she was raised, basically, like, as a hunter. And which is totally just, like, not usual for her tribe. And so instead of, you know, learning how to sew and cook and take care of children and raise children, she was, like, out there learning how to hunt seals and whales and all of that mm. and she's just like this really strong character and it follows her life and conflict comes to her land when the vikings come and also when neighboring mm. tribes come so basically all the men start dying off in her tribe and so neighboring tribes come and try and take over and at first, it seems like a blessing in disguise, like, oh, like, this is like a neighboring tribe, we're gonna marry into them. And like, they're gonna come help us out. Like, we're just gonna grow and get stronger. But they actually have some ulterior motives. And they're actually not really that great of people. And they like take her to the south and like kind of kidnap her. And that's when she it's been so long since I read this book, but sorry. So they kidnap her, take her to the south on a whaling expedition. And that's when a Viking raid comes and kills everyone on the expedition. And that's when she meets this Viking man and they kind of team up. And from there, I won't say anything else, but I may have already said too much. 
<laughs> I'm just kidding. You know that they team up from reading the summary of the book. But <laughs> it's just like a really neat book. Like just the the thought of like, you know that these two cultures clashed in history and like just the thought of like, oh, maybe like two of them met up one day and like worked together and who knows, like maybe saved each other, saved their own people somehow and it was such a good story. She's a shaman, so there's a little bit of magic involved in the story. And, you know, a little bit of magic involving both their gods. And um, so there's a bit of the mythologies involved. And, I, you know, I love Norse mythology. And it was just, it was a different type of book. Like, you don't read a lot about Inuit cultures from Greenland. So... It was great learning about their way of life through that lens. Mm -hmm. I really enjoyed it. I don't know. I really loved it. I mean, I love Vikings and I don't know. It was really cool. I really enjoyed it. It's a pretty long book, but well, well worth the read. Nice. That's good. Yeah. Not sure if my description did it justice. It was so long since I read it, but it was so good. Believe me, it was amazing. Alrighty then. So, I guess before we wrap up, I wanted to see if anybody. Yeah, I was going to ask if anybody has any honorable mentions that you just want to like quickly rattle off. Any books that you enjoyed, but we're not going to take the time to like discuss. Oh, you're not going to go first, Hannah? I can. I... As long as you don't list 80 books, you can go. Almost 80 books. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I'll pare it down a little bit. <laughs> so my honorable mentions, I have All Systems Read by Martha Wells, a Record of a Spaceborn Few by Becky Chambers, You Should See Me in a Crown by Leah Johnson, Never Caught the Washington's Relentless Pursuit of Their Runaway Slave Ona Judge by Erica Armstrong Dunbar and Get a Life Chloe Brown by Talia Hibbert. Cool. That was quick. Wow. I told you I could do it quick. (laughs) I'm impressed. (laughs) Okay. I want to talk a little longer, maybe. Who knows? I've talked a lot already. (laughs) Anyway. How dare you? Um, I haven't mentioned yet any short stories. All right. So the stories I'm going to mention are found in the anthology, The Weird, A Compendium of Strange and Dark Stories. Ooh. So, Christina, you would like this. Ooh. Um, Not for me. It's very long (laughs) and it's printed in columns. So, you know, be aware. Uh, It's... I did not get through as many stories as I wanted to. There are 110 in the collection. Wow. They're they're not necessarily horror. There are just a lot of weird stories, as the title suggests. So I wanted to mention two that I thought were excellent. So the first story that I recommend from the collection is The Salamander, by Merce Rododeda. She's the Catalan author. Oh, fun. And I thought this story was one of the best short stories I've ever read. It's kind of about 
how terrible it is to be a woman. It's not a happy story. <laughs> it's a story about a woman accused of being a witch. And when they try and burn her at the stake, she turns into a salamander. And Weird. it's very heartbreaking and amazing. And the second one is The Sea Was Wet As Wet Could Be by Gayen Wilson. And this is a very creepy story. It is a take on The Walrus and the Carpenter, the old poem by Lewis Carroll. Mm. But in a horror way. And it was great. Highly hmm. recommend for Hannah. No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Nice. So, okay, Christina, what do you have to mention? Um, so I read Ninth House by Lee Barjugo, Cursed by Thomas Wheeler, <laughs> which is now a Netflix show. Uh, yeah, you won't stop talking about it. <laughs> I know. I couldn't get into the Netflix show, honestly. And I read Crooked House by Agatha Christie, my first Agatha Christie book. And Ooh. it was really good. I really enjoyed it. Super okay. posh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I look forward to reading more Agatha Christie. Nice, nice, yeah. nice. I did not guess the killer. Mm -mm. Mm. Yeah, she got me. <laughs> <laughs> Hannah, we've talked about a lot of books. We're only reading one book next time. What is it? All right. So up next, we're going to be reading and discussing The Plotters by Unsu Kim. It's described as a noir thriller. It's the story of an assassin named Rezing who breaks the rules and then chaos ensues. <sighs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm excited. All right. Well... I think we have finished our discussion of books that we enjoyed reading during the year 2020. What a year. So yeah, all of our contact information can be found in the show notes. You should check out our Instagram and our Twitter accounts. We would love to hear from you about your favorite reads from 2020 or even about your 2021 reading goals. So before we sign off, should we talk about what our reading goals are going to be for next year? Do you have any reading goals? Is there like a is there a genre that you want to I feel like your goal for next year should be to read 100 books. There you go. That's your reading goal. Boom. Yeah. And among the 100 books, five of them should be horror novels. Oh, no. Yeah, about five of them are things you don't normally read. So maybe one is horror, one is short stories, one is poetry. And then two more are horror. <laughs> That's that's about it, yeah. Maybe. Okay. Yeah, those are some pretty good reading goals, I guess. I yeah, I, I guess for next year I do I wanna read more books than I did this year. Yeah. I I need to do better with my 
breakdown of like how diversely I'm reading and the own voices that I'm reading. I know this year I tried to do better with that, but I still have a ways to go. So I think for next year, I would definitely want to make sure that I continue that. And then specifically, I need to do better with reading uh, native and indigenous own voice works. So I think that's my goal for next year mm-hmm. is to do better with that. Yeah, I don't I don't know if I have. I didn't really have any goals last year. I think next year is going to be all about reading for fun. Okay. And also reading for knowledge. I like to put nonfiction books in there. I read quite a few this year. Not all the books I read were about the gunfight at the OK Corral. I think I'm going to mm. leave that behind for a while. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Emma, I think your goal of books, your your books that you don't usually read, I think you should try to find at least one young adult. I knew you were going to say that, and that's not happening. No, you need to find at least one young adult. I think you should find a romance. That's even worse. What? How do you guys think I feel about horror? And you made me read three. You Emma, all gave me three. Emma, your romance could just be the next Nazi romance by uh, what's her face? <laughs> oh, oh yeah, Pam Jenoff's book. Pam I think, Jenoff. comes out yeah. in twenty twenty one. Oh, you're right. Yeah. Does her book count as a romance? It needs yes. to have a happy ending. <laughs> no, romances don't need to have happy endings. Romeo and Juliet. Duh. Uh, okay, there was a full, like, Twitter war about this. I'm pretty sure the, like, definition of a romance novel is that it has to, like, there's a difference between a romance novel, the genre, and then books that have romance in it. And it seems like romance genre has to have a happy ending. <laughs> and if you heard it on Twitter, it must be true. Hey, I heard this <laughs> on is it Jess Owens uh YouTube channel? I wanna get her her booktube channel out because she does Tuesday like what's the tea in the reading community? <laughs> what? Uh. <laughs> I want to read more nonfiction about like lesser known things. You know, lesser known, interesting stories. Hannah mentioned the Ona Judge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So stuff like that, I think, is what I want to get into. Yeah. Okay. Do you know what? I want to read more Western fiction. There you go. That's what I want to do. I've been reading too much Western nonfiction. I want to read some fiction. Oh, yeah. All right, Christina, what are your goals? Okay, I want to... Okay, so first of all, I want to actually hit 30 books, like for real. Let's just do this. Like, <laughs> if not more, yeah, like, yeah. I'm going to do it. Um, And then also, like, I just love sci-fi and horror so much. I just want to read as much of it as I can. Okay. Like, I just really want to, like, get into it. Like, I just want to become sci-fi and horror like yeah you know like read some classics read some new ones like and i want to read some sci-fi books that like maybe would be like too obscure for me to like really like like at this point like i might not like 
But I want to, like, read it anyways, just to give it a try. Okay. Okay. The covers that really intrigue me right now are the, um, the Expanse series. Okay. Okay. And I feel like that one, like, that type of sci-fi is, like, too sci-fi for me. You know? (laughs) It's like... Okay. It's hedging on Dune territory. (laughs) Where it's almost politics and space. But I feel like it's, it might not be quite there. So I feel like maybe I could handle it. So I want (laughs) to give it a try. Plus, I really like the covers. I really like the Doom covers, too. And I hated it. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Anne and Jeff Vandermeer also did a short story collection, The Big Book of Science Fiction. Oh. Of science fiction short stories. So that could be a good way to find authors that you might be interested in. Jeff Vandermeer. I love his books. <laughs> so you'll trust his taste in the book, in the stories he chose? I think I would. Honestly. <laughs> like his taste in, like, I mean, his writing style is like a good blend of science fiction and horror. So. Yeah. I don't know. I trust his taste. Yeah. So yeah. Any goals for me? Or are my goals yeah. too flushed out for you guys to yeah. <laughs> have anything else to suggest? No, that, that, was, that was my goal. You read the big book of science fiction. <laughs> Ooh, find... that's an easy one. <laughs> <laughs> All 100 or so stories. Okay. But. Well, I definitely am going to get weird. The book weird. Yeah. <laughs> you should read okay i didn't mention it but you should also read hell screen by akutagawa is in that oh it's in that collection yeah okay from a diverse uh crowd of authors and perspectives yeah i tried to do that this year as well and getting there <laughs> while also trying to like read what's already on my bookshelf <laughs> Yes. No, that that that'll be my uh goal for you, Christina, is to try and get into your backlog. Yes. You know I have a backlog. Cuz I know I need to get into my backlog. Yes. <laughs> As I'm like perusing oh, a book a bookshop.org right now. <laughs> yeah, I I recently got like 12 books from thrift books yeah (laughs) so my backlog is expanding yeah all right so there you have it our 2021 reading goals thanks for joining in on our look back at our reading in 2020 and until next time don't forget to treat yourself